Blog Talk Radio.
tonight. We've got a great show coming up. Tonight we're going to talk about making sure that you stay on your dry fire game. And we've talked about this many times over the course of the last five years or so. But I think it's important to bring it up uh, on a regular basis because it's one of the most important things that you can do for your, uh, in order to keep your shooting skills uh, sharp and to actually to develop your, your, your shooting skills. Excuse me. We're also going to talk about uh, your water prep and uh, several other things tonight. Uh, first off, I'd like to uh, talk to you about uh, some of the stuff that's going on around the nation. Now, we've got the uh, – I'm sure that no one is uh, – uh, is unfamiliar uh, with the idea <clears throat> that we live now in a nation that nothing that we say or write or look at uh, electronically, and this is I'm talking all about telephones, uh, your computer, the Internet, emails, uh, anything like that, Everything you say, everything you do is being observed and recorded. Everything. This is being done under the guise of Homeland Security and as you prevent uh, uh, the terrorist attacks in the nation. And believe me, I'm all for preventing terrorist attacks in America but not 
at the sacrifice of all of the liberties uh, that uh, that are given to us not by the government but by a higher power. They're simply enumerated by the government. I'm not willing to sacrifice all of these freedoms and liberties uh, on the remote chance that uh, that they're going to pick up something and it's going to to help them in some way. Because here's what's happening <clears throat> is the NSA uh, and their huge uh, network of computers, you know, they're going through all of your telephone conversations. They're going through all of your emails. They're looking at every single thing that you look at on the computer. And certainly there's not a person that's doing this uh, uh, in every occasion, it's it's simply software programs that are running through. But they are looking, listening, and reading everything that you do. And uh, should some things come up, like certain keywords, and I don't know what they are. I'm sure they're. I'm sure that if you write uh, nuclear, uh, or if I say nuclear. Uh, on the phone or anything like that, I'm sure that's going to draw a second look from their software to see what the content is. If you uh, write anything suspicious, then the, the program is going to grab hold of it and it's going to, you know, shove it to the next year to give it a second look. <clears throat> this is, is that the NSA is also uh, allowing other agencies now to have access to this data. And uh, Washington State, I put this into the, uh, the chat for folks that want to, to, to read the article. Washington State is one of the first states that is going against this. They're trying to uh, produce an amendment to say that they cannot be spied on by NSA and then have it used uh, in the form of a breach of our Fourth Amendment uh, protections. That is to say that information is collected uh, under the guise of uh, trying to ensure that we're not attacked by terrorists. And then that information is gone through by somebody else, and they see that it has something in it that might be illegal, and then they go after you for that, and, uh, and they say, well, we got this from NSA, who was doing their job looking for terrorists, and uh, they happened to pick this up that so-and-so was uh, doing something illegal, uh, who knows what. And, and so now we're going to arrest them for it because this is a breach of our Fourth Amendment uh, uh, protection of unreasonable search and seizure. That means that they're, they're gathering information without any warrant to do so and then using that to prosecute. This is not something that we, that we want to happen, okay, because now, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that we should protect folk who are doing things illegal, all right, I don't agree with that, but at the same time, that's like saying, well, you know, we should, uh, we should just grab a bunch of uh, police and sheriff's officers, and let's start going house to house, and just searching everybody's house, because somebody's going to have something illegal in there. And the, the folks that don't have stuff illegal in there, well, you shouldn't worry about it. If you're not doing anything illegal, you shouldn't be worrying about it. 
because that is one of the things, that's one of the, the freedoms that, that we are guaranteed. Is that folks can't just come into uh, your home on some type of uh, fishing expedition and start digging around and saying, oh, I think that this might be illegal. Or I, uh, and if you protest just to say, uh, look, you know, if you're not doing anything illegal, you shouldn't care if we're, if we're looking through your stuff. <clears throat> it's a very, very dangerous place for us to go to. And we're going there. We're going there right now. And... I think that uh, in Washington State was even recommending this in their discussion of the amendments that they're forming, is that the rest of the states should be doing the same thing. They should be uh, fishing for the federal government to do this. This is uh, House Bill 2272, and uh, it's received a lot of bipartisan support from uh, from both sides. That nobody wants their their liberties to be uh, uh, to be breached. Uh, the the legislation that's on the books now would prohibit state-owned utilities from providing uh, uh, water, electricity to physical lo- uh, physical NSA locations in the state, like the uh, like the Army Zekamaw Training Center, right, which serves then as as an NSA listening post. The bill would also ban public universities from serving as NSA research facilities. So they're running the bill to provide protection against uh, against the the constantly increasing surveillance into the daily lives of, of all of the American citizens, and and this is a good idea. The the legislation is also forbidding information provided by the federal agency, which has been obtained via the warrantless uh, surveillance, from being used in criminal investigations. As I said before, because this is a breach of our Fourth Amendment. Now, and the the problem is is that most of the data that they're sharing has absolutely nothing to do with national security issues. But that's the guys that they're using in order to obtain it, in order to uh, to to mine all of this data from American citizens. Uh, from everybody in the nation. And uh, the bill is also trying to make any information that's gathered this way, if it's gathered through the NSA warrantless surveillance program, to make it inadmissible to uh, NSA court. So I think it's a good idea if you uh, if you take this article and I post it in the chat, but all you have to do is uh, is just Google uh, uh, Washington State blocks NSA surveillance, and uh, that will bring it up. And then you can shoot a copy of that to your state representatives and ask them if they wouldn't mind uh, crafting the same kind of uh, the same kind of uh, bill. I see one of the guys said the audio is skipping out. Uh, is it still, are you still having any trouble hearing me? Is it still skipping out now? Uh, I heard it a couple of times uh, whenever the uh, the intro music was playing. Uh, it says can hear, but we're getting pops. Um, I don't know what that is. <clears throat> it's probably the NSA because I'm talking about them. 
the uh, if you can uh, send the information to your uh, representatives and ask them to craft the same kind of thing, then uh, that might be a good idea. All right, I want to thank Pokerface for the music that you hear us play, the intro music that you hear us play. Uh, that's their song, Control. And if you want to get, if you want to listen to some more music from Pokerface and see what they're playing, then uh, go to pokerface.com. And uh, that's where Paul Pokeet and the, the rest of the guys, Topeet, Paul Topeet, and the rest of the guys uh, are stationed and they have a lot of great music and we really appreciate them uh, letting us use the music. Uh, for our intro. Now, let's talk about, uh, uh, and and very quickly, let me put in here, too, that, uh, that as always, we welcome any of you guys, uh, any of you guys who would like to call in and uh, give uh, thanks to your Local Appleseed Rifle Marketship Program crews, we're always willing to uh, take those calls. If you want to talk about an upcoming event or do an after action on an event you just had or just letting us know how uh, how the program is working in your state, you guys are always welcome to call in because we'd like to hear about that. Uh, the call-in number is 347-308. Eight seven nine zero three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. We're glad to take your calls. <clears throat> the uh, and that includes uh, you discussing what you're doing for your dry fire game, or in a minute we'll talk about water preps for you to talk for you to discuss what your water preps are. If you have any questions or anything like that, you guys are welcome to call in. Uh, we've talked about creating and running a dry fire program uh, on this show many times. But like I said uh, in the earlier, it's important for me to keep reminding you because I have to keep reminding myself how important it is. And when I talk about a dry fire game, what I'm talking about is practicing every single thing that you do uh, with your rifle when you're at the range minus loading and firing live ammunition. All right, let me repeat that. Minus loading and firing live ammunition. When you're doing your dry fire game, I'm going to tell you right now, Make sure you don't even have any uh, live rounds in the same room where you're going through your live fire uh, exercise, I mean, your, your dry fire exercises. Don't even have any live ammunition in the same room with you. <clears throat> Safety is very, very important. And you're going you're gonna to be using all of the same safety rules uh, that you'd be using at the range, the same safety ideas that you'd be using at the range, because part of your dry fire game is making sure that you're doing everything exactly the way you would normally do it. Uh, the addition to the safety rules are going to be making sure that you have no live ammunition on you in the rifle in the room. You're going to be making sure that uh, that while you're doing your uh, dry fire exercises, that your rifle 
is pointed at the safest place it can be pointed wherever you are. Dry fire game includes everything that you're going to do whenever you're at the range, except for loading and firing live ammunition. That means you're going to be going through the six steps to firing the shot. You're going to be working on your position, your sling, your breathing, all of the stuff that you would do at the range, but you're going to be doing it at your home. Now, I can't uh, stress enough how important running your dry fire game is because you can you can do a couple of thousand uh, evolutions dry firing your rifle, and every time you dry fire your rifle, as long as you're doing it uh, by the six steps, you're getting the same benefit you would be getting as if you were firing at the range, minus the recoil and report and the hole in the paper. All right? But your your brain does not know the difference between a live fire exercise and a dry fire exercise until you get to the minus or plus of the recoil and report. All right? And by that time, you have already received all the benefits you're going to get. You don't get any benefits of receiving a recall or hearing a report. There's no real benefit to that. Everything that you do when you're shooting is done before that happens. You can still follow through. You're still going to follow through regardless of if there is no uh, recall or report whenever you execute the shot by the six steps. But there won't be any recall or report, all right? Now, the dry fire game can be, it can be a very elaborate thing that you set up uh, and run through it in your home, or it can be very simple. Either way, you're going to benefit from it. When I say it's elaborate, I mean, you can set it up. Uh, I know people that have set up miniature indoor rifle ranges in their home for the purpose of dry fire practice. They have everything set up there. They've got, uh, I've seen people that have even uh, lined out a shooting range, uh, either in their hallway or in their basement or stuff like that. They have the a scaled-down target placing against the wall. Uh, they have their shooting mats out. Everything uh, is exactly the same, and they go through their shooting, uh, their dry fire game, the same way they would do it at the range. They go through it exactly the same, which is great, which is very, it's, it's a, a very smart way to do it. And there are other folks uh, who simply have, uh, uh, they pick a non-cluttered place on their floor, they put their front sight onto the, uh, the grounding, the round grounding uh, uh slot on their electrical uh, uh, the electrical outlet and they use the round hole on the electrical outlet for the grounding plug. They use that as their target and they simply do uh, 60 or 70 
uh, dry fire evolutions with their rifles on that from uh, 8 to 10 feet away. However you do it, it's going to help you. It's going to help you develop these skills and techniques that you need in order to become a rifleman, and it's going to help you maintain those skills and techniques once you have developed them. A lot of people tell me, yeah, my my shooting skills are getting a bit rough because I just don't have time to go to the range or it's winter or it's been raining a lot or just I keep forgetting. I keep meaning to go. I keep forgetting. This is the way that you're going to maintain those skills. Not only that, you can ask a lot of folks uh, about the importance of the dry fire game. They'll tell you the same thing, that your dry fire game is as important, if not more important, than your actual shooting game and shooting time at the range. Really, when you go to the range, unless you're an apple seed or something like that, very seldom do folks go to the range and they arrive at 7.30 at the range, so they're there when it opens, and at 8 o'clock they start shooting and they shoot nonstop until 5 o'clock. I mean, nonstop. They, no, they may take up 30 minutes for lunch or something like that, but very seldom do you do that at the range. And if you do, you don't do it uh, three or four times a week. Uh, go to the range and only have an hour, hour and a half or more that they can spend there. And that's not enough. That's not enough, number one, to develop the skills, and number two, to maintain them once you've developed them. The only way you're going to get around this is by creating and maintaining a dry fire game. That means you're going to create uh, a training schedule that you can do in your home. And one of the best things about this, guys, is that it doesn't require uh, – it, it requires so little of you. You don't need to spend money for range fees, for live ammunition, uh, for a bunch of extra gear. It can be done in almost any weather. Uh, there may be a problem with a tornado if it's roofing your house to shreds. Other than that, almost any weather this can be done in. Uh, it can be done – with the most minimal of preparation. Like I said before, if you can have the, a very minimal game, that means that I could walk over uh, to my rifle because, yes, it's three feet away from me. I, I could step over to it. I have a handgun on me, but my rifle is three feet away. I can walk it to my rifle, pick up the rifle, get down into the prone, and begin sighting, and then do uh, uh, maybe 100 dry fires uh, in about five minutes. And I say five minutes because when you're dry firing, you don't have the uh, the luxury of having recoil, uh, recycle the bolts. You have to do it manually. But I can do that with no preparation, uh, no money spent, nothing. I could do that right now. And in five minutes, I would have 100 rounds. I'd have fired 100 rounds, dry fire. And like I said before, if you fire those dry fire rounds, shooting the six steps to firing the shot, there's no difference between me firing those 100 dry fire rounds and me firing 100 live rounds of ammunition. 
except that I'm not going to be paying for the live ammunition. I'm going to do this on a regular basis, and then I'm going to go to the range so that I can verify that my training has been produ- is producing the correct skills and techniques. That's all I'm going to do at the range is verify that my training is going correctly. So you don't need to go to the range uh, in order for you to develop these skills. I see Hangfire saying, uh, when you drive out of practice, have your hearing and eye protection on. Uh, if you're where you're shooting a coat, wear the coat, you're creating muscle memory. Absolutely. Now, you don't have to do this, but I always tell folks that you, and you, I'm sure most of you guys who played sports and stuff have heard this. You're going to practice, when you practice, it needs to be practiced in a realistic fashion. It needs to be practiced and replicating what you're going to do when you're live firing. And uh, that means that if you uh, if you are going to be out shooting the cold, then, yep, you can get uh, your jacket on and shoot with it. Uh, if you're going to shoot with the hearing and eye protection, which I recommend, then you can do that. Because uh, everything you do when you're firing the shot, everything that you do is going to affect you in some way. So it's best to replicate the conditions that you're going to fire the shot in. Now, you don't have to. You don't have to do this. I don't want you to think that, man, I would do that. But if I'm going to get, if I got to get down there and put on my, get my hearing protection, my eye protection, and everything else, I'm just going to, I'm not going to do it. All right? If you're going to let that stop you, then forget it. Get down, get the rifle, get down there, all right? Because we're not going to be fighting live rounds. So you can get down there without any hearing or eye protection on and do it. Uh, is it going to be the same as when you're out wearing hearing and eye protection? Nope, it's not. But it is going to be creating muscle memory uh, in your body for this. So that's still a big plus. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're creating muscle memory, and you're uh, you're creating a routine. Now, I would I would try and set it up so that you can do this on a regular basis, uh, a couple of times a week. You know, at the minimum, and it doesn't take uh, more than ten to fifteen minutes to get in a hundred rounds. You can do it very. You can do it very easily that way. And I've told people this, and and the reason I tell folks is because I know it to be true. Because other folks have told me, and that is, uh, for every uh, two to three thousand rounds that you dry fire your rifle, every two to three thousand rounds you dry fire your rifle, executing a shot by the six steps, you raise your AT score. Uh, five to ten points. All right? Every time you get down and you do uh, a couple of thousand dry fires, you raise your AT score by five to ten points. That's without firing a single live round. That's the way that you make 
that you develop the skills and that you make yourself into a rifleman. And that's by constant practice and repetition. The other benefit, uh, one of the, the the greater benefits that uh, that I notice that I get and other folks get is that whenever you are dry firing, because you know there is no live ammunition, there's not going to be there. There will be no recall, no report. Then what you're doing is you're developing. The, the practice or the uh, the habit of not flinching. You're developing the habit of not flinching because there's nothing to cause you to flinch. There's no recall and there's no report. Time you squeeze the trigger and the hammer comes down, you know there's not going to be a, a live round in there and you're not going to flinch. And that's one of the uh, I think one of the great benefits of dry fire is you're training yourself to fire the shot without flinching. Now, your dry fire game uh, includes all of the physical manipulations of your rifle as well as it does ensuring that you have the that you're getting into the positions correctly shooting the shot by the six steps. And let me re- re- retrace back to positions. Uh, when you first go to an apple seed, a lot of times well, folks will, uh, they do the scanning okay because most people stand up. And most people, uh, when they started shooting, they started shooting standing. So standing is one of the most familiar positions to be in when you're shooting. I'm not saying that everyone is a great shooter, in a standing position, because a standing position is a difficult position to master accurate rifle fire, but it can be done. Uh, when you get to the seated position and the prone, then that's a little bit different, especially the seated position. A lot of folks find the seated position to be a very uncomfortable position to maintain. The way that you're going to get around this is by getting into that position several times uh, in the course of an evening and doing that two or three times a week until the seated position becomes not comfortable, all right? Because we we don't want to tell folks that if the position is not comfortable, that it's incorrect because that's not true. The position may or may not be comfortable. The only thing it really needs to be is repeatable and maintainable. That means you need to be able to get into the same seated position. Every time you pop down, you put your butt on the ground, you get into the same seated position. And the way that you do that is by practicing it over and over. Then it needs to be maintainable. That means that you need to be able to sit in that position uh, and be able to sit there without pain or stress uh, or at least uh, enough uh, or as little pain as possible and be able to be in it for the 60 seconds it takes uh, to fire that station of the AQT. And 
I'm not saying that you need to practice the sitting so that you can master the AQT. I'm saying that you need to practice the sitting so that you're able to fire a minimum of 10 shots in, in uh, 60 seconds from the seated. All right? 10 shots in 60 seconds from the seated. You fire those 10 shots, and hopefully that would, hopefully that would put you in, in a position or you could shift or, or move your position or, or alter it or something like that if you needed to. You need to be able to fire 10 shots from the seated within 60 seconds. The same with the prone. You need to be able to get into the prone position and be able to maintain that position. Uh, and you need to be able to repeat it. Like I said, when you first start getting into these positions, uh, if you haven't done it a lot before, then then your uh, your body isn't used to it. You're not. Uh, you don't have a uh, a set position. But the more that you do it, uh, the more it's going to become. Uh, a repeatable position. You're eventually going to work out a position in seated and in prone that when you get down into it, as you're going to get down into it the same way every time. And uh, and that is what you would like to eventually do. And that's get into a uh, get into your positions and for to have them consistent, repeatable positions. I mean, you pop down into the prone, you're going to be doing it the same way every time because in order to be, in order to be a good rifle shot, in order for you to make the shot, you need to be able to repeat your, uh, you need to be able to repeat the things that you're going to do consistently. You have to be consistent in order to be able to make the shot. So getting down into these positions during your drive car game is one of the important things uh, about having a drive fire game. When I first started shooting in a seated position, it was very, very painful for me. Uh, I got a whole lot of pro bray, and, uh, and believe me, when I got down into the seated position, uh, every one of them were screaming. And uh, uh, the first few times I did it, I think I actually just uh, I just squeezed the trigger until uh, the in block popped out, and then that was it because that's all I could think about was the pain that I was in. All right, that was the first few days. Uh, by the end of the week, I could I could maintain it, but it wasn't a happy position. So what happened is I went home and I got down into position. And I didn't stay in it. I got down into position, and I got right back out. Uh, I didn't even try, and I didn't even take a rifle with me down into the position. I got down into the position, sat there for a few seconds, got back out. The more I did that, the the less uh, the less pain I was in. So I kept repeating it. I kept doing it over and over until finally, at the end of, uh, I think it was uh, four or five months, uh, 
the sitting position actually became my steadiest position to shoot in. And it was also the position uh, that was my fastest shooting position. It means I could get down into that position to a consistent seated position. I could maintain it during the course of the uh, the stage. And I could fire faster in seated than in, in, in any of the other positions. The seated position for me was uh, much easier for me to maintain the uh, recoil and return uh, to my natural point of aim. So the repetition is the only thing that allowed me to do it. If I waited until I got to the range to do it, it wouldn't have worked because there's no time. I mean, you're, you have a very limited amount of time at the range. So I had to do it by getting down in that seated position over and over in the evening. That takes a while. Uh, don't expect don't expect this to work after a few times or a week or two weeks. Sometimes it takes longer than that. But I can tell you that eventually you will be able to get into a seated that is repeatable and maintainable. If it is not comfortable, and it is at least repeatable and maintainable. Okay? The same with your prone. You want to be able to get down into the prone and not have to think about it. Not have to think, is this the right position? Is this the correct position for me? Because if you do it often enough, your body will retain that muscle memory. So you hit the ground, you get into the prone, and bam, you are in the you are in the correct prone position. And you've done it enough now that that's going to be the position that you're going to get into every time. And that helps with the consistency portion of it. It means that you're not going to make a whole bunch of different adjustments uh, trying to figure out if you have the right position or not. You're going to hit the same position every time because you've been doing it over and over. And, yes, this takes it takes repetition to do this. But if you're serious about developing your rifle marksmanship skills, and you're going to have to you're going to have to learn to love repetition because that's what it's all about. All right. In addition to the positions, uh, you're going to need to understand how to physically manipulate your rifle. And that means all of the physical things that you have to do to it, working the bolts, inserting the magazine, removing the magazine, uh, putting the safety on and off, all of these things, they need to become part of your muscle memory. When you're in the course of the fire at an AQT or if you are field shooting, uh, I mean, if you're out in the field and bang, and all of a sudden there's a reason that you have to shoot all of a sudden, you don't want to be fumbling with your magazine. You don't want to be trying to look at the magazine and see if you have it turned the right way or if you have it or if you're inserting it correctly or if it's fully seated. You don't want to have to look at your rifle to see if the safety is on or off. You don't want to uh, have to guess about uh, or fumble with uh, working the action and chambering around, these things become second nature. That is your physical manipulation of the rifle. And the way to do that is through repetition, all right? 
you put your hands on the rifle enough on the magazine and you work those parts, the, uh, the different parts of the rifle enough until it becomes second nature to you. Now, I've told you before, one of the ways you can do this is uh, you can make sure that there is no ammunition in the room, that you've got a stack of magazines that are all completely empty, and that you can sit there watching uh, your favorite uh, television show, and you can do a couple of hundred magazine changes. Pop the magazine in, make sure it's fully seated, pop it out. Pick up the next mag, pop that mag in, insert it, make sure it's fully seated, pop it out. And you just do this over and over and over again. And you're doing this in order to develop the muscle memory that it takes to correctly seat the magazine and make sure that it's locked in. But it's also the same muscle memory so that you can get the magazine out without fumbling it, without trying to figure it, without trying to... Uh, to fumble it or, or say, oh, I can't get it out or I don't know what's going on. You can get the magazine out. It just takes a little bit of practice. Now, the other thing is this can tell you uh, if you have good and bad mags. And if you have some mags that seem to be sticking or that they don't want to function correctly, uh, if it's bad enough, then send it back to the manufacturer. Uh, if it's just sticking a little bit, take a look at the magazines. Uh, a lot of them have very sharp edges from the factory on the sections that go inside the rifle. And sometimes just a, a tiny bit of work with uh, either a scotch bright pad or a, uh, a piece of uh, 120 or, uh, or 200 sandpaper you can smooth out some of these problems, and you can turn a poorly functioning magazine into a magazine that pops in and out of the rifle with no problems. If you have magazines that uh, are giving you problems, then make sure that uh, that you take something like uh, one of the silver sharpies or something, put a big T on that magazine on the bottom so that you know that that magazine is a training mag. You can use that magazine as a training mag for two reasons. One. You don't want to use it if you're having, if you're grabbing a couple of magazines that you're going to use for hunting or possible uh, home defense or something like that. You don't want those to be the mags that you pick up. You want the magazines that work flawlessly every single time to be the mags that you use for hunting or self-defense and stuff like that. The magazines that aren't working correctly those get the T's on them. That's so that you don't use those if you are using it for hunting or self-defense. And so that you can get a little bit of extra practice when you are either at the range or you are taking your chair doing it. Because every time you pick up a funky magazine and you pop it in and you have to figure out how to make it work, then that's training you. It's training you to figure out what to do to get that mag out and get the other one back in. So don't think of these things, uh, these glitches like this as problems. Think of them as uh, training opportunities. Uh, Fred, uh, talking quite a while back, uh, I believe somewhere, maybe not on this new form, maybe in the old form archives or something, he, I think he may have mentioned it, but, but it, that could be me just thinking that. I know that he and I talked about it, that 
was that many years ago he bought I think uh I think five or six thousand rounds of the Indian surplus uh three away. And uh the ammunition was not great. It had a a one in ten or better uh failure of the round, failure fire. And he said he first he was really uh, he was really angry about it, but then uh, years later he thought, you know, I wish I could grab another uh, 500 or 1,000 rounds of that because it would be perfect for uh, be perfect for shooting at the range and uh, getting uh, ball and dummy training. Because somewhere uh, during every eight or eight or ten rounds, you're going to get a, a dummy round. So it's uh, uh, he considered that. Uh, a plus on the training side. Now, that's only for training ammunition. You don't want uh, home defense or hunting ammunition to have a 1 in 10 failure rate, all right? So all that all that uh, 1 in 10 failure rate ammunition, the surplus Indian, that goes over in the training pile. Take with those mags that you put the T's on, the training mags, and goes in the training pile. That will go to the range with you. All of the manipulations that you have to do to your rifle you can do them at home, and that becomes part of your dry fire game. Putting the mag in, taking it out. Putting the mag in, taking it out. You do this enough times, and you develop that muscle memory, it becomes second nature. Uh, you can put the mag in, and then put, you can take one, the, put the mag in, take it out, put another one in. While you're explaining, uh, you know, uh, basic uh, algebraic functions uh, to your kids, think about it. It's something that your body's going to do without you, and that's why that's what it needs to become, all right? Because you don't want to have to think about putting the mag in when you're shifting from one target to the other on the AQT or if you're field shooting or in home defense or anything else. You won't have to think about shifting, uh, about uh, how to put the magazine in because uh, in home defense situations uh, and to a, a slight degree, the same thing happens in the AQT, especially when folks are doing it new. You know, you get that uh, you get that loss of fine motor skills whenever they whenever you hear that uh, uh, the line ready ready on the right ready on the left already on the fire line fire your heartbeat pumps up and all of a sudden you're you're trying to make the time limit and you're trying to do everything right and you start fumbling and, and trying to get the mag in and get it out and you've lost some of those fine motor skills because of the uh, uh, the sometimes of the, the heightened anxiety that you have during the course, that can be wiped out by instilling this function as a muscle memory so that it happens regardless of whether you're thinking about it or not. It just happens uh, without you thinking about it. And that's what you want to do. That's what you want to work toward, all right? <clears throat> the... Uh, the main thing, though... During your dry fire game, is going to be the same thing that you're going to do with the range of live ammunition. That is safety. The main thing that you're going to think about when you're doing your dry firing is safety. All right? Safety is always uh, prime directive. And I don't care if, uh, if you have a rifle that you check ten times uh, to make sure that you had no ammunition and you had TSA and everybody else clear you of ammunition, and then you got on a plane, 
and they flew you to a desert island that had no ammunition, and you get out and you start doing your dry fire game there, you're still going to have safety as your prime directive. All right? That's, that's the only way you're going to be able to give yourself the best possible chance of ensuring that you do not have an accident which damages property or injures or kills another person or yourself. That's by ensuring that your prime directive is always safety. I don't see anybody calling in to tell us about their tri-fire game, which is a shame. I'm sure that a lot of you guys have some really significant uh, uh, ideas and have developed some very creative angles on this. <clears throat> you're being uh, very selfie, very stingy, and uh, you're holding them uh, only to yourselves, not sharing them with the rest of, rest of your brothers and sisters who could also benefit from your knowledge uh, and so if you want to uh, reconsider that and call in, we'll be glad to take your calls at 347-308-8790. Remember that uh, information has a value if it is shared, right? If you know how to, uh, how to defeat cancer, and you don't share it with anybody, then then how, what is that? It's meaningless, right? It goes with any information. So you guys, uh, if anybody has any uh, any great ideas for the drive fire, you guys are welcome to call in, 347-308-8790. But we'll take your calls on that, even uh, as we move on. We're going to move on right now to your water prep. Now, there... There are five basic pillars of survival. They're water, food, shelter, energy, and they, the way I said them is kind of a basic way that you can think about them as far as their importance. Uh, water, food, shelter, energy, and security. Now, a lot of folks I know are saying, Listen, that security, that's got to be up there at the top. If I can't protect my uh, my preps, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a goner. Uh, you may or may not be right on that. I don't know. I mean, it, it all depends. I can absolutely guarantee you, though, that uh, you may survive uh, 10 days, uh, a month, five months, a year, 10 years in a grid-down situation. You may survive You may survive the rest of your life ever laying your hands on a, uh, on a handgun, pistol, shotgun, anything like that, right? That's possible. It's certainly possible. But I can tell you that you're not going to survive more than uh, six or seven days at the most without water. It just ain't going to happen, right? That's why water's right up there at the front. Because water is extremely important, you just you, your body is the majority of it is water. You're mainly water. Uh, I remember seeing in science class one time this little uh, uh, less than a gallon, a gallon bucket of 
like uh, sand and stuff, and that represented uh, all of the material in your body minus the water. You know, you reduced uh, to something that can fit in a uh, uh, in a one-gallon paint can, right? That's all you are without water. So water is very, very important, and that's why I put it at the front, and that's why you should put water at the front of your preps. It's one of the most likely things that you're going to end up losing, right? Uh you can have you can have all different kinds of situations that happen, uh, man-made or natural disasters, and uh, you may not uh, you may not have aliens attacking you. You may not have zombies attacking you. You uh, you may have uh, uh, a couple of uh, weeks or a month worth of food in your house without going to the grocery store, but. If the utilities go off, if the water is shut off, what are you going to do? Uh, I'm sure most people, if if you're smart, you're going to rush in and and bail the water out of the toilet or, or whatever, you know, the back of the toilet, not the front. You can save the front for the dogs. Bail the water out of the back of the toilet and, uh, and empty your water heater and... Uh, and really, it's going to be about it. That's all the water you have. But it's the most likely thing to happen, right? The most likely thing to happen is you're most likely to lose your utilities. Because this happens all the time for all, all for different kinds of reasons. It could be that there's a major break on no line somewhere. It could be that the power is down to the pumping company uh, that's pumping your water. It could be that uh, there's been a break in the line, and that line has allowed the integrity of the water to be compromised. That there's some type now of, there could possibly be some type of a pathogen that has been into the water. So the water's unusable. Um, well, not unusable, it's unsafe. All right? So this is the most likely thing that is going to happen to you. That something is going to affect your drinking water and your safe drinking water thing you need most. All right? So you're going to have to make sure that you're thinking about what you're going to do in the event that you need water. Now, one of the most obvious things is to have some stored, right? You can have uh, water stored in your home, even if you live in an apartment, even if you live in a tiny apartment, you can still store enough water, buffer, between you and uh, and chaos. You can put, uh, oh, five or ten cases of water can go under your bed. You can, uh, you can have uh, gallon jugs of water that uh, you store in your closets. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can do. But have you been doing them? Because you need to think about this. Like I said, I, I know that uh, I know that there are a lot of end-of-the-world situations and stuff like that that people want to talk about. Go straight to the, uh, to the sexy uh, scenarios of the... Uh, 
some kind of uh, uh, of a utility shut off, and that means that you're going to need to have some water. So do you have some? Uh, so storing water is going to be your first line of defense against this, and uh, and I would recommend that you look into that. Uh, there is uh, there are bulk water containers that you can get if you have room for it. If you can fill it out in the suburbs and you want to put a uh, a 500 gallon container in your garage, you can do that. Uh, we know that drinking purposes, we start off with a one gallon per person per day uh, standard. Now. If you are, uh, if the weather is cool and you are staying in the shade indoors, you may not need that much. But you want to plan on one gallon uh, per person. Uh, there are five gallon containers that you can get uh, from Home Depot, Lowe's, and stuff like that. And these are the the five-gallon water containers that go to the uh, like the the stand-up uh, water devices. You know, like the water coolers that they have in offices and stuff like that. <clears throat> you can put the five gallons of water in those, seal it up, put it in your closet, and uh, you know that that's giving you a minimum of five days of water that you can drink. And uh, that will put a buffer between you and whatever's happening. Maybe the water's only going to be off two or three days. Uh, maybe the water is, uh, you know, is uh, they're just trying to fix a line somewhere. All right, so you're good to go. You've got drinking water for those five days. Uh, even if uh, even if the zombies attack, at least you have five days to figure out where you're going to get more water. Because I can tell you right now that just uh, they're just going without one day of water uh, in the summer drastically alters your body and your mind, uh, and it can be very dangerous. Uh, if your mind isn't straight, you do dumb things, you make mistakes. Uh, so. Having just as little as five gallons is at least going to give you a buffer so that you can you have uh, some time between you and the and uh, the end of your water supply. All right, I'm trying to read the the notes that Sam sent in here. He says uh, Bill wants to talk about dry fire drills. Okay. All right, Bill, welcome to the show. Well, hi. Um, one of the drills that I do, I mean, not related to the AQ te- AQT test, but for self-defense, is to close my eyes, then bring the rifle or handgun up to a ready position, then open my eyes, and, and the drill is to get, make sure that when you open your eyes, you're teaching yourself muscle memory so that when you do open your eyes, you're looking straight down the sights. So if you're ever in a dark environment, and, you know, you're barricading yourself and someone opens a door and you need to bring your firearm to the ready position, you, know, you, you can do that in the dark and not then 
not have to wait and then line up your rifle. You, you are at the ready to fire as soon as you open your eyes or the light comes on. Okay, but how are you doing? How are you training yourself to do it with your eyes closed? I could see if you did it uh, over and over again with your eyes open, because that would develop, that would allow you to develop your skills uh, by knowing that uh, when I bring it up to a certain position, it's going to be right where it needs to be. That way, that that way, if you close your eyes or the light shot, you can do it. But how are you doing it by closing your eyes first? Well, I guess it's kind of a it's kind of a combination because if you do it with your because if you do it with your eyes closed, you're also it's also kind of like testing yourself because if you're doing it with your eyes uh, well, open, could, you're still see, you're still bringing in senses. It, yeah, I could see using it as a test, but uh, I'm not sure that you know, and, and maybe you figure out some way. I'm just not sure that uh, <clears throat> that you could train yourself to do it with your eyes closed. I think uh, I think I would rather make sure that I've done it the repetitions enough with my eyes open that uh, I knew to, uh, you know, when my, my when my arms come up to a certain way or my body position comes up to a certain way, I'm going to have uh, uh, a good uh, a good body position with a good cheek weld and everything else, and I'll have the sights aligned a certain way, and then uh, and then check myself by doing it with my eyes closed or something. I can see that. Well, well, yeah, I, I guess, I, I guess that's true. I think probably, I was doing it before with my eyes, eyes open, but now I started doing it with my eyes closed, more of like, more like of a test. Because then, when I open my eyes, if I, if I'm learning that I'm off in a certain direction, then I try to make sure I'm comp, not compensating for it. But as long as I, if I know I'm off, then when I do other practice drills, then you, you, you become aware of that. Right. Right, and the more that you shoot and the more that you drive fire, the more that you are going to become familiar with the way that the firearm is going to feel in your hands and the way that it needs to be pointed. It's no different than uh, it's it's no different than uh, say your finger you know you can take your finger because you've been doing it uh, your whole life you can take your finger and point at something, and uh, I know that they have they have done this, uh, they've done some kind of test with it by, um, I don't remember if they take a laser pointer to the person's fingers or whatever, but uh, the, per- the people could, uh, you know, they could point at something uh, very quickly, and the laser would be turned on, and they'd be dead on it, because they'd been pointing at things their whole life. Uh, you know, so they they didn't have to learn how to point a finger at an object because they've been doing it uh, so long it could, it's done as second nature. And you could do the same thing uh, with pointing your rifle or pistol, but you have to do it a lot in order to do that. You have to, you have to practice uh, aiming your rifle and pistol uh, enough times that it becomes second nature. And that's all. And that's the, the whole point of the of dry fire game and repetition, and then uh, using your time at the range to verify that your program's running okay. Do you have anything else? Oh no, that's it. What about uh, water? What's your water situation? 
Um, well, I just have a lot, I just have a lot of gallon containers stored up on wood blocks. On wood blocks? Yeah. Well, um, so, well they're, they're kept in a garage. So I keep them on the wood blocks so they so the plastic doesn't doesn't leach with the concrete. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, that's a good idea. As long as you have something, you know, to get between you and no water, you know, that's uh, that's the whole point of of thinking about it and then developing some kind of a water prep so that you can be ready for it. Uh, where are you at, Bill? Uh, I'm in Pennsylvania. And are you part of the Appleseed Project? Well, no, I, I hope to be later on this year. Okay, great. How are the uh, how are the events running in? Or have you been to an Appleseed yet? Oh no, I haven't. I plan on. I hope to be at, at one later uh, this year. I'm not sure when, but but sometime this year. Oh, great. I, well, I just don't have to have. Uh, I'm sorry. Now, I was just going to say, how did you find out about the show, the radio show? Oh, I. I I got on a mailing list for Appleseed. Oh, okay. All right. So you're on the forum. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, listen, and right now, uh, the way, way things are going, I'm just, I want to bring the, a recommended 22 rifle, but right now I can't even find 22 rifle ammunition. Yeah, that's still a problem. So online, so I'm, I'm going to be waiting until later this year to like get a whole lot of the same brand. Well, like we were... With it. There's a uh, there was an article I was reading the other day about folks are still uh, hoarding uh, a lot of the ammunition so that they can gouge for it. You can find uh, ammunition some you know at some places it uh, is not prices are not too bad still like at the academy and stuff like that. But I know that there are still folks that are hoarding and uh, I don't mean individuals I mean companies and stuff like that that are hoarding the ammunition and still gouging for it. <clears throat> well, listen, Bill, whenever you get to uh when you get to the apple seed and you go to one, be sure and call back in and let us know, okay? You don't have to you don't have to wait till you get to an apple seed to call back in. You're welcome to call in any time and I thank you for, for calling in this evening, okay? Okay, sure. All right. Thank you, man. Take care. Okay, bye. All right, and uh we've got uh Richard, who is, uh, wants to talk about dry fire and water. All right, Richard, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, Scott? I'm doing you having okay. a good day over there? Yourself? I'm doing outstanding. Uh, it was okay. I'm doing outstanding. Some, some generator and welding machine troubles, but I think I got them fixed, so I guess I'm okay. Well, tell me about your dry fire game. Well, you know, I'll tell you what. I like to dry fire. Because a, it's cheap, and and b, it just it really does help. And and you know, of course, I do a lot of shooting, but you know, I'm up in a northern climb, so you know, uh, sometimes you just don't really feel like getting really bundled up and going out, and you know, and and I realize we all should practice into the worst case scenarios because that's generally when we're going to need to use it. But it is very nice to be able to sit in your home and to uh, and, and to keep that keep that muscle memory, keep that trigger figure really dead on. 
And one of the things that I've really come to really enjoy are really good triggers because it's so much more enjoyable to dry fire right. when you've got a really good trigger. And right. I know I've got my specific ones that I really like, but when you spend a lot of time dry firing, you really come to appreciate a smooth trigger. Well, and absolutely, because whenever you dry fire, you see any movement that is produced uh, by right. a trigger that has a glitch in it. So you're going to see that those sights move because the trigger has, because uh, you have a rough trigger, you're going to see those sights move a bit. Now, yes, even if you, you have will. a rough trigger, though, with enough with enough practice, you can get past uh, a rough trigger and still keep the front sight motionless. However, uh, you're going to, you may very well see some movement at first from a rough trigger. And, of course, like you said, the, the, the triggers that are nice and smooth, they're very rewarding because you do not get any deviations from the front sight when the trigger squeezes, so that's always very nice. Well, and it's, it's, it's a quality of experience that I, that I really enjoy, you know. Um, you, know you know, the thing is, is, is one of the things that I've really had to work real hard to, because we're always looking, you know, oh, that's a screaming dealer, that's a good dealer, that's a, or, or, wow, I got this, you know, so much cheaper than that. You know, I'll tell you. Long after the uh, long after the joy of low price uh, has passed, you know, the, you know, it's there's just something really nice about quality, and it's just it's something that once you get into and once you've got one. Uh, in a, a good quality trigger, it's you, it's just a joy every time you use it, and right. it's one of those it's one of those upgrades that if it's applicable for your platform and you can do it, uh, boy, the rewards from a good trigger are just phenomenal. Right. Well, what about? Uh... What about your water prep? What do you got going there? Well, I have a, I have a unbelievably flawless system for my water prep. Um, I don't really count. I have artesian wells, so I, I have no issues with water. Um, however, I didn't always have artesian wells. And I've been a prepper for a long, long time. And what I like, uh, what I, one of the things that I did when I was on res- real restricted space and I didn't have, um, I didn't have what I have now, um, I would get, and I got, I got numerous ones for nothing just by looking around. Maybe they're not so popular now, so it might be a lot more difficult to get them. I used to use those waterbed tubes for non-potable water because you can stick them anywhere. And they each hold, I think, about 35 gallons. But if you've got it, if you can get a hold of any of those and make sure you put some bleach in the water so it doesn't get nasty, 
Um, for drinking water, I think the recommendation is one teaspoon per gallon of water. You want to preserve your water. You don't want your water going bad. You don't want it. You don't want it growing. You know, algae. That's another thing you got to watch is make sure your water is never in the sunlight. Because um, if water sits in the sunlight, if there's any, if there's anything in there, it will grow algae, and and get nasty and stale and icky. So for your potable water, I believe the recommendation is uh, with standard uh, sodium hypochlorite, which is just common bleach. And that's another good thing. You can use bleach bottles. As soon as you finish up with the bleach bottle, don't even rinse it out. Just fill it up with water, and there's a there's a perfectly excellent bottle to store some water with. Um, so I like I like to uh, I like to use any method I can. Um, more, I don't worry about it now so much. I've got my stashes, my my caches, but um, you know, just in case for whatever reason my home becomes untenable. But um, back when I used to have to worry about it, I would get those cheap five-gallon, fifty-five-gallon drums, you know, that were used for food-grade things. Uh, that was always a good viable option. That would be potable water. Uh, the water bed bags that I like to use, those were for non-potable water, which is well, maybe not quite as important as as potable water. Um, but boy, it sure is a quality of life issue. Right. Um, you want to be able to flush your toilet. If you're now, if you're talking about putting bleach in in water that's not for drinking. Uh, you can, well, you just you want to keep use, you just want to keep you, your containers from I, I, getting nasty too. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, I'm just saying. Hold on, just listen to what I'm saying. Uh, if we're going to drink it, uh, you only want to put you don't want to put that much chlorine and Clorox in there. You only want to put uh, for a gallon of water. You only want to put eight drops. Uh, is that what it is? Into the gallon of water for drinking. Yeah, uh, a half a teaspoon of Clorox will do five gallons. So. And make sure you don't overdo it because you can get uh, you can get rough that way too. So, well, the nice thing uh, about chlorine though is if you pour it out in an open container within 24 hours, it dissipates. So, you can remove chlorine; it's not an impossibility. Right. Um, right. Uh, that's one of the few things that you can actually get rid of without a whole lot of work. Um, I always just basically I just fill up my 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 empty bleach bottles. When I had to store water, um, I just fill up my empty bleach bottles when just leave. You know, I drained them fully, but there was always some residual in there. And right. I kept. Right. Uh, used to keep probably, I guess, about twenty bleach bottles over time because they're good. They're they're actually quite robust containers, and it's just one of those things you accumulate. Maybe maybe folks don't use as much bleach as I do, but I used to use quite a bit of bleach, and well, still do. Um, well, you can use those bottles or, or any plastic containers. You can use those, but they have to be they have to be kept uh, out of uh, in a cool, dry place, uh, yep. out of the sunlight. If you put yep. uh, a plastic container like a bleach bottle or a milk jug or anything like that in the sun, it's going to last a little bit uh, less than probably six months or so before it, before it becomes unusable. You know, before it breaks. Sure or, does, boy. They don't last, do they? Like no. They don't last. They don't last. So yeah, you you've got to definitely keep. The sun is really your enemy, and and when you start getting up at altitude like I am, it's even much more of an enemy. Um, it actually deteriorates plastics far faster. 
Right. Um, but just as you're keeping water for your uh, for your potable uses, boy, uh, definitely want to keep as much as you possibly realistically can, depending on your situation, to be able to flush that toilet. You know. <laughs> well, you do. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I I I understand, but but flushing the toilet might be a luxury you'll have to do without. Uh, I would recommend to folks that uh, if you came up in a water situation, the last thing I would do would be to use it anywhere near a toilet. Uh, that side, you can you can dig a uh, you know a slip trench or something like that, and uh, and you can use that because you sure don't want to uh, uh, to throw away uh, three or four gallons. Uh, you know, every time you do that, even if you have even if you have a lot of water, I'm still not sure that I would recommend that. Uh, maybe if you have well, a... Then, uh, I guess, I guess no. we all have to look at what, what scenario we're facing. Is this a somewhat potentially, are we in a isolated circumstance where only a small geographic is being affected and we have every good reason of a resupply coming back in? Or are we in a real bad situation where a very large geographic area is is affected that we have to look more closely at, you know, real uh, true permanent survival. The, uh, regardless of the geographic situation or anything like that, I still would never use it uh, uh, to flush the toilet unless I had a, like a 10-acre lake uh, right up beside the house or something. Uh, I'm just telling folks, if, you, if you've got... Uh, if you have water, you need to save it for drinking and, and cooking and stuff like that. Unless you have, uh, you know, a huge lake or something like that right beside you, and maybe you can get away with that. If not, you'll need to uh, you'll need to look at other things. Well, listen, Richard, are you in the uh, are you working in the Appleseed uh, program? Well, yes, I am. And uh, how did you how did you hear about the show? Was it through the uh, uh, through the mail out? Oh my goodness! I well, I've been on the email list forever. Um, back in, Fred pitched the email, the Appleseed program to me over a campfire in 2005. So I've been around for a while. <laughs> Where was this at? Wyoming. Ah. All right. Well, listen. I want to thank you for calling in and for sharing your uh, uh, your info with us, and uh, I appreciate that. And be please feel free to call in any time, Richard. And well, you have a wonderful evening too. All I'm saying is, is if you've got the opportunity to invest in a good trigger, um, there is a number of good ones out there. I'm a personal fan, and I'm not making any, you know. Super endorsement here, but for me, a good reliable trigger trigger has been the Geasley, and I like it because it's so simple and there's no adjustments on it. But anything that uh, people really enjoy and that have had the opportunity to try, if you get yourself a good trigger, you really won't regret it. Right. All right. Well, thank you, brother. Take care. God bless and keep you guys. And uh, let's hope we never have to worry about uh, uh, about uh, rationing water. Well, as long as my artesian wells flow, I just don't have a whole lot of water problems personally. But um, <laughs> uh, well, but go. then again, you know, I, I have to be honest with you. It was a major influence 
when I was looking at this property. Artesian wells? Yeah, yeah, I want that one. Right. Um, I knew how important water was from the very get-go, and there's nothing like a constant flow. That's Absolutely. not dependent on anything. Well, and, it's dependent on the water in the ground. Well, it's yes, but it's not dependent on electrical needs. It's not a, dependent upon... I mean, I suppose yes, we could have a we could have a earthquake or something like that uh, um, that could disrupt that, the channel flows. It's just an earthquake. I mean, there's a uh, there could be uh, a drought, or the uh, water table could fall, uh, you know, below uh, the level of where it is now, which is happening all over the United States, and. Uh, no, well, and, and, and there's 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 some po- there's some possibilities for that. Um, should that eventuality occur, I have um, since I'm already down at over 1,200 feet, um, I've got plenty of pipe in a in a in a system of of bringing it back up if I need to, um, and I set that up many years ago. Mm, I don't really. Let's put it this way. Of all the imminent threats that we've got going on out there, I don't think that one i got to worry about. But you never know. You never know. All right. All right. Well, thank you, brother. You take care of yourself, all right? You too, Scout. Have a great evening. Right. You too, brother. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, you can always uh, – one of the things that I try and tell folks is that uh, – uh, and I use this mainly about our freedoms and liberties, is just because you've always had something doesn't mean that you're always going to have it, right? Just because we've always had the freedoms and liberties that uh, we have enjoyed by virtue of living in this nation doesn't mean that we always will. And that can go for anything, all right? That can go for anything. It can go for a water or food, a paycheck, anything. Just because you've had it doesn't mean you always will. <clears throat> so make sure that you are make sure that you are considering this and that you're backing up your preps. Uh let me see real quick. We were talking about bleach a while ago. And bleach is okay to use uh, I mean chloric bleach, the liquid chloric bleach. But bleach is okay to use uh to purify your water in an emergency. Make sure that you're using the, the right amount. And you can find that at several places uh, online, anywhere you can you can uh, uh, you can find it you can find it anywhere, thousands of pages on it, I'm sure. Uh, let's see, Ed Ed has put uh, a couple of links to stuff in here uh for where you can find the the amounts, but pretty Basically, it's about eight drops per gallon and uh, about a half a teaspoon for the five gallons that you're going to use. You don't want to put much more than that. But the thing about uh, the liquid bleach is that it doesn't have a very long shelf life. Uh, The strength of the bleach is going to drop uh, at a fairly rapid rate per year. And, uh, And there's nothing you can do about that, all right? For liquid bleach, so the best thing you can do is uh, is get the chlorine tablets, and the cheapest 
way you're going to get this. Now, you can buy chlorine tablets uh, specifically made for uh, drinking water, uh, but they come in small amounts, and they're fairly expensive. Uh, the other thing you can do is you can buy the, uh, the large chlorine tablets from, uh, like, pool supply places, and the powdered uh, uh, chlorine is much more stable. It has a much longer life than the liquid Clorox, the liquid bleach. So that's one of the things that I would recommend to you is that you grab yourself a container of the powdered bleach of the the tablets specifically made for purifying uh, the water. And you can get these from pool supply places. And when when you go in there and talk to them, tell them what you're going to do with it that you plan on using it to purify water so that uh, they can direct you toward a nice uh, 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 product that, uh, that is unscented and, has, and is uh, as free of any of the chemicals that are not uh, desirable for purifying water. And uh, you can talk to the uh, chemistry guys there at the pool place, and they'll be able to direct you toward it. But I would recommend you using the powdered or tablet form of bleach as opposed to trying to store up uh, liquid bleach for purifying water. Certainly it can be used in emergency, and the bleach is going to be good for uh, you know, at, it, at its uh, stated concentration on the, on the package. And, of course, it needs to be unscented uh, straight, liquid Clorox bleach, uh, and it'll be good for, at that uh, stated strength, for about uh, six months or so, and it starts uh, dropping uh, fairly rapidly after that. So I would make sure that you had uh, powdered. Now, there are plenty of other ways to purify water, because say you've got plenty of water, but what if there is something wrong with it? Say even if you have water that uh, that your uh, your utility company is able to to continue to pump out to you, uh, you know, at thousands of gallons, uh, you know, uh, an hour, uh, and you're good to go with that. But something has happened somewhere along uh, their supply line, and the water has been compromised, the integrity of the water has been compromised, somewhere along it, uh, there's either a certain or a possible breach of the integrity of the water by some type of possible waterborne pathogens. Then that water is no longer safe to drink. Just because it comes out of the faucet doesn't mean I can drink it. Uh, And let me tell you right now that in the event of a grid down situation, even if water is coming out of your tap, I would still treat it as water that is suspect because many of the, uh, the machines and uh, the things that, that water companies use in order to ensure that the water is uh, safe to drink are machines that require electricity. And maybe they have... Uh, Maybe they have backup generators, but maybe they don't. I don't know. You're not going to know. I would still treat that water as suspect because the last thing you want to do in a grid down situation is drink some bad water because if the grid is down, 
That means it's down everywhere and all over. It means that medical treatment is going to be difficult to obtain. Uh, so you don't want to expose yourself to water that is unsafe to drink. So what, so what are you going to do about that? How are you going to fix that? Well, the most the most common uh, solution uh, for waterborne pathogens is going to be boiling the water. Uh, you know, if you're if if all that's wrong is that your water has been compromised and it's still pumping freely out of the tap, you still have electricity and everything else wherever you are, uh, or even if you don't, the easiest thing is going to be for you to take that water and boil it. All right, that's going to remove. Uh, a good number of the things that are going to be in your faucet water. Uh, if it's if it's coming to you through the faucet, there's a good chance it's already been mechanically filtered. That doesn't mean that there couldn't be some type of pathogens in it. And boiling the water is going to remove the majority of those pathogens. <clears throat> now, uh, the... Uh, the recommendation uh, for boiling uh, water is generally about uh, three to five minutes. Uh, the reality is once it starts bubbling, once it starts boiling, then the water is at that temperature that is already going to kill those pathogens. All right, whether you boil it for three to five minutes or an hour or a day or whatever. Uh, it's already at that temperature that's going to kill the pathogens. But if you want to make sure, then 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 run it for three to five minutes, all right? Because whatever, you're, whatever you're doing, you've probably already, it's, you're already, the water's already going. It's already boiling, so you can boil and finish boiling in three to five minutes. And then uh, let it cool before you drink it. Now, the water's going to have the oxygen uh, boiled out of it, so it's going to taste funky. I'm sure a lot of you guys have probably drank uh, hot water uh, that, uh, without anything else in it. You know, it has, uh, it has a different taste than, the, than you would normally find in water because it's not aerated. But you can, you can aerate it yourself to some degree by, you know, pouring it back and forth into a couple of containers. As long as you make sure that the container that you're pouring it into is a clean container. Uh, you don't want to run uh, uh, a gallon of water or two gallons of water into a pot, pour a, a gallon of that uh, out into a pan and put it on the water to boil, put it on the, the fire to boil, uh, use the rest of that water to uh, wash dishes or something, and then pour that water back and forth into that container that had some of the non-boiled water in it because you're just reinfecting uh, the water that you were using. All right, so make sure you got a couple of clean containers. You can pour, pour the water back and forth, uh, you know, for a while to help aerate it to get the, the taste closer. All right, then you can also use uh, some type of water purification chemicals. Uh, something like uh, like the uh, like a liquid bleach. Uh, make sure that you're using the amounts that uh, we were recommending earlier, and uh, that is uh, 
if you are if you're going to uh, purify a quart of water, two drops. That's all it takes. Two drops in there. If you're going to do a gallon, eight drops. All right, eight drops. That's all you need in there. Stir the water up. Let it set for a while, and uh, you can drink it. It's going to have a clark taste to it. And like Richard was saying, if uh, if you don't drink it all, or if you make up a, a good amount. <clears throat> You can let it set overnight, you know, stirring it uh, occasionally. And a lot of the Clorox, uh, the, a lot of the taste of the bleach is going to evaporate out of the water, right? The longer you let it set and stuff, it's going to remove that from the water. But you need to do something to it. And, and if you have the abilities, then I would always say do both. Do a... Uh, uh, a mechanical uh, purification of the water. And by mechanical, I'm talking about straining it and boiling it. And then a chemical, which is adding some type of chemical to the water in order to ensure that you've, you have uh, done as much as possible to remove all of the pathogens from that water. You don't want to suck up some Giardia or, or E. coli or anything like that uh, when you're in a situation, uh, or when you're in any situation, I don't care if electricity is on and there's a Burton Reynolds movie going and all hospitals are up and running or anything else, you don't want E. coli. It'll kill you, all right? That's, uh, at the very least, you'll be sick as a dog. So you want to make sure that, you're, that you've done everything possible to remove any of the pathogens from the water. But what if you don't have any of that? What if you don't have a fire? What if you don't have uh, uh, any chemicals to do it? What can you do? Uh, there are still several ways that you can that you can work on your water, both uh, mechanically and, and uh, uh, I'm not going to say chemically, uh, but I would recommend to you that uh, that you purchase uh, some type of chemicals that you can add to your water. We were talking about the powdered chlorine earlier, uh, keeping some liquid bleach on hand. Uh, you can buy the water purification tablets uh, anywhere online. You can get them all over. Uh, and you can keep those at home and keep them in your, uh, in your go bag so that if you have to go somewhere, you can take those with you. And that will allow you to purify water uh, uh, chemically. Now, what about uh, if you don't have, if you're taking uh, water and it's not coming out of a faucet, maybe it's coming out of uh, a lake or stream or something, what, what are you going to be able to do about it? Now, the first thing that I would recommend is, is buying some of the uh, water filters, the water purification devices that they make commercially now. There is a ton of them that are out online, and a lot of them, uh, they're finally getting relatively inexpensive. Uh, they were, they they were 20 years ago. They were very expensive. Uh, even five years ago, they were still pretty expensive. But uh, over the last few years, as uh, prepping and self-reliance has become more and more mainstream, more and more people are getting into it because now there's a market for it. You know, people will buy the product, <clears throat> so more and more people are buying it, which brings the price down which is a benefit to all of us. And 
you can go online. You can buy any of the mechanical, I mean, uh, yeah, any of the mechanical uh, sprinters that they have available, and there are all different sizes of them. One of the easiest ones uh, that I recommend you get is the straws. They've got these uh, these devices now that uh, are not that much bigger than a regular drinking straws, and you can uh, you can get those from uh, from just about anywhere. I put a uh, uh, an address into the chat for it, but. Uh, uh, I was looking at uh, some earlier, right before the show, to see what they had now. Because they, like I said, they've got a lot of them. They're they're really great. They've got uh, uh, one of the least expensive ones I saw. It's called a Frontier water filter system. This is a drinking straw, and uh, it's only eight ninety nine, and it is very tiny, uh, not much bigger than a uh, uh, you know than a large uh, pen, and uh, it'll do uh, twenty gallons of water, right? So that's something that you can have uh, in your in your backpack, in your go bag, in your glove box of your car, anywhere that uh, uh, that you can put one of these things would be great because you never know when you're going to need it. And this uh, this isn't just for uh, into the world stuff. I mean, you may be if you're vacationing in some other country and. Uh, uh, even if you're drinking uh, uh, tequila and uh, with lime or something, if there's an ice cube in that drink, you run the risk of getting E. coli because the alcohol in the drink is not going to kill it. So you run the risk of getting E. coli. So how how can you avoid that? Well, you can put in one of these straws and drink uh, your whatever you're drinking, your your Coca-Cola, your your lemonade, whatever, you could drink it through the straw. Now, I'm not sure what it does about the taste. It may alter the taste by removing some of the the, uh, uh, the flavors in it, but you're not going to, you're not going to get any of the pathogens in the water, and certainly, the very least it can do is you can just order some water and drink the water through the straw, and you'll be good to go. These are the straw size devices. Now, they make larger ones. Now, if you look at the uh, if you go to Amazon and hit uh, Frontier Emergency Water Filter System, it'll take you to it. But then scroll down to the bottom of the page, because that's the bottom of the page, what the, what Amazon likes to do. And they'll say, customers who viewed this item also viewed. And then down at the bottom will be uh, a whole string of different uh, water purification straws. Right? Like I said, they're made, by, they're made by a ton of folks now. There used to only be one company making it several years ago. Now I'm looking here at uh, about uh, a dozen different companies. Life Straw, uh, Aquamira Straw, Emergency Zone Straw, German Army Military Straw, uh, the Pure Water Straw, uh, McNet Aquamira Frontier Filter Water, uh, on and on. All right, there's a ton of them, and it looks like they range in prices from uh, 8.99 to. Uh, the the Sure Aqua Water Pur- Purification Straw is uh, I think it's fifty seven dollars, right? Which you, when you're thinking about it, you go, man, that's that's a lot. But here's the here's the the only reason I would consider this is because the Sure Aqua Water 
purification straw will do 500 liters. That's 132 gallons, as opposed to the 20 gallons uh, that the uh, Frontier does, right? So the Frontier for nine, uh, $3.99, it will do uh, uh, six times that. So that's uh, 45 bucks, as opposed to one straw at 57, right? That's the only thing that makes them kind of close, is that that one straw will do uh, an additional uh, 110 uh, gallons or so of water, <clears throat> which is something you need to look at whenever you're uh, selecting these devices. Make sure you look and see how much they will do, because that's going to that's gonna be part of the decision on, on where you're going to, uh, on deciding to buy it or where you're going to keep it, stuff like that. It's how much will it do? How much water will this item uh, process? And make sure you understand that whenever you're whenever you're talking about how much a uh, a purification device will do is when it's purifying clear, not cloudy, but clear, clean drinking water. By clean, I don't mean safe to drink. I just mean there's no there there are not uh, uh, physical particles uh, that are suspended in the water. So if you are going to be drinking from a muddy Print, it's not going to do nearly that amount, okay? Because the filter's parts are going to get clogged up really fast. So make sure that uh, that you're thinking about that, and that you're also mechanically uh, filtering the water as much as you can before you're drinking through it. You know, run it through uh, a folded T-shirt or, or something to try and get some of these suspended particles out of it before you run it through your filtration device, so that you're not uh, wasting or throwing away. Uh, you know, 10 or 20 or 100 gallons of its ability to filter the water is try and get all of the, any of the suspended particles in the water, any of the sediment out of it before you run it through the device. Uh, and from the, from the straw size devices, they just go up from there, all right? They're, they're, I'm not going to sit here and go through all of the devices you can use because you can do that, all right? You can, you can go through this and figure out uh, which ones that you want to use. Uh, I have uh, uh, one of the older life straws, and then I actually have four of them. And then I have a half dozen of the one-quart water bottles, and I don't even remember who made them now. I took all the packaging off put them inside a... Uh, one-gallon bag uh, and close them up in that. But these are the uh, one-quart water bottles, and you pour the water into the bottle, and then it has uh, the equivalent of a straw that goes down into it with a filter on it. And the other thing that you need to make sure you pay attention to when you're buying the water purification devices is the size that the water that uh, of the particles that are filtered out. At a very minimum, it needs to be down to three microns. Better if it's two. It needs to filter out two microns in order to filter out the uh, a lot of the waterborne pathogens. All right, because if, if it's filtering any any higher than that, then there are pathogens that can go through the filter because they they are not. I mean, they're 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 small enough to get through a. a 
you know, four, five, or six micron filter, cron filter. All right, so make sure that whenever you look at it, that it says uh, will filter uh, uh, up to uh, uh, two microns to make sure that uh, the pathogens are not getting to it, the bacteria is not getting to it. Uh, like the sure says, filters out bacteria to two microns. Parasite-free, removes parasite cysts uh, and spores. Uh, so that's another thing you have to look at because there are a lot of these water bottles out there now and these water filtration systems that don't remove any type of uh, uh, bacteria or viruses or anything like that. They only uh, filter it through some type of carbon filter so that it removes the paste that's in the water so that the water doesn't have the, uh, the chlorine taste or, or any kind of a local uh, water taste that maybe a hint of sulfur or, uh, or ferrous oxide or something like that. It will remove those so that the water tastes nice and clear, but it doesn't remove bacteria. All right, you got to make sure that you get the ones that remove the bacteria because drinking a quart of really good tasting E. coli is just going to make you sick, okay? So make sure that you're paying attention to the filtering ability of your mechanical filtering device. All right, say you don't have those. What else can you use? What else can you use in a pinch? Uh, okay. Uh, so you've got nothing else, and you say, look, I've got to filter the water somehow. Uh, you can make your own filter. You can make, uh, even if you only have something like, a, uh, say you've got a, you found a, uh, a two-liter water bottle, you know, from a Coke, uh, you know, or something like that. All right, that's great. At the very least, you can use that. You can take the container, and you can... Uh, uh, cut it in half midway, and you can uh, your own filter. The way you're going to do that, you're going to take uh, like a coffee filter or a piece of cheesecloth or, or a piece of a T-shirt or something, and you're going to affix that around the end of the container where the screw where the cap screws on. All right. You can even take it and uh, and put it on there, and then you know screw the cap back on uh, a little bit, and then before you put the cap back on, you can just uh, puncture uh, a hole in the cap, uh, you know, about the size of uh, uh, of the lead in the pencil, <clears throat> and then behind the the t-shirt or the coffee filler or whatever. You're going to put in uh, an inch or two of very fine sand, right? And you can look at uh, the sand uh, along uh, on the ground, along the the creek or the whatever it is, and, and try and find the the finest possible sand that you can find. That the size of the grains are very small, and you you know you do this by looking at it and seeing if it looks almost like a dust, then it's very small. Uh, if you can actually see the grains of sand, then it's a lot rougher. So you put an inch or two of the sand. Then you put in a coarse sand uh, on top of that. That's the, the sand where you can see actually see the grains. 
then uh, if you have some uh, some very fine uh, gravel, then you can put that in. And this would make you at least uh, a primitive type of filter. Now, the other part of the, the other half of the tuner bottle that you cut off, that's what you're going to, uh, you're going to catch the clean water in. Now, don't, don't use that to take the dirty water and pour it into it. Remember, you can't, you, you can't mix the two. You have to get some other container, some other way of, of pouring that water in, and don't pour it in so, so much that it runs over the sides and drips down it because that would contaminate it too. Pour it into that and let it filter through. All right? And once that's done, if you have some way of boiling it, try and boil it. Uh, if you have uh, charcoal, and you can make charcoal. You know, you start a campfire and you burn it, and then you you re- pull a bunch of the, the coals out uh, before they turn to ashes, pull them out, and and uh, let them go out by themselves, and you'll have uh, uh, a bunch of charcoal. You take that charcoal and uh, crush it up to where it's uh, fairly, uh, you know, it's, so it's not so coarse. It's not a big chunk of charcoal. It's more like a, uh, you know, more like sand. And you can put that in as your final layer, uh, or as your first layer, so that you have a charcoal, a fine sand, a coarse sand, and then fine gravel on top of that, and that will help to filter it out. Uh, you can take that same two-liter bottle that has a cap, and you don't cut it in half. What you do instead, you take the all the labels and everything off of it, you fill it with water, and you set it in the sun. You set it so that, uh, so that it is... The, the length of it is exposed to the sun. You don't point one end or the other at the sun, not the direction that the sun's going to travel the other day. Turn it perpendicular to that. So the sun's rays are striking it uh, at a 90-degree angle. And then you leave that in the sun for 24 hours. And the, the solar action is going to kill uh, the majority of the pathogens in the water. But remember, it's got to be a sunny day, and you have to take all the labels and everything else off of the bottle. It can't be, uh, can't be a cloudy day with the Coke, uh, with that plastic Coke label still on there. It's not going to work. And if you can, once you've done that, boil that water or add, uh, uh, add uh, chemical uh, uh, purification to that if you can. Uh, there is uh, there is a ton of ways that you can do this, and there is uh, very inexpensive. Now you can buy Berkey, and I would advise that to everybody, just because it's a great way to get get really good drinking water for you and your family. If you, I don't I don't care if your your water is already supposed to be completely free of everything. If you get a good Berkey water filter and put it in your house, you can drink your water through that. It's going to be uh, it's going to be much better for you. But you can make your own, uh, and I'm not going to sit here and try and describe it to you over the radio how to do it. But if you uh, if you Google uh, water purification 
five-gallon buckets. Uh, there's going to be a ton of folks uh, on the Internet that are going to show you how to make it. And uh, then you can go to any of the places like, uh, I don't think the Cheaper Than Dirt used to sell these to, and buy the kits. The kits are not that expensive. And these are the kits that you use to, uh, uh, and the filters, they can use inside the five-gallon buckets. So that you can you can basically have your own Berkey uh, filter, uh, your own Berkey uh, uh, water filter kind of thing for just uh, about uh, 25 bucks. All right? Okay, guys. Uh be a show to completely tell you how to do water because we've, we've had a couple of those already. We'll have some more. And uh, what I want you to do, what the show is supposed to be about, is reminding you to be thinking about this. Reminding, I'm not, I'm not going to try and teach you how to do this. I want to remind you that you have to learn how to do this. You have to learn how to do this because I don't care what, I don't care what uh, at some point uh, in your life you're going to be without water. And uh, you need to make sure that you've prepared for that. Water is the first pillar of the survival uh, uh, situation. All right, guys. I want to thank everybody for uh, for listening in tonight. And uh, I want you to remember that we'll be here again next uh, Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. Uh, until then, God bless and keep you all, and uh, we'll see you next Thursday. Thanks, everybody, for calling in. Thank you, Sam. Uh, as always, Oh